So I'm, I'm really curious what, uh, what we heard in the group. Somebody give me something that, one of the stories that came out of your group. Preston. I said, I said the Lion King. The Lion King. Good. That's a good one to go back to. What else? I knew Wendy's. Wendy's is the holiday. <laughs> Little rom-com action. Guess there's not enough romance in her life. <laughs> Who else? What else? Pride and prejudice. I knew Jane Austen was going to come up. I just knew it. What was it? Okay. Awesome. I, you know, I... Um, of late, the last, probably the last year or two, maybe three, um, the one I keep going back to, and I'm weird because I'm a theater guy, but it's Shakespeare's Macbeth. And um, for those of you uh, who have the courage to take the challenge, uh, I would encourage you, there's a couple of different versions out there on Amazon Prime, uh, Patrick Stewart plays Macbeth, is fascinating. It's, it's set in a little bit more uh, update current period, so it's a little bit more accessible. If you like the old medieval Scottish swords and blood and guts, then uh, Michael Fassbender came out with a version a couple of years ago that is just beautiful. But either one you choose, make sure that you put the captions on. It'll help you a lot, okay? Anyway. <laughs> So for those of you who aren't going to take the challenge, let me explain the story, because there's a reason that I'm telling this this morning. Macbeth is just a common soldier, and he's been at war, and he and his friend are on their way home, and they run into an apparition. These three, they're called, in fact, Shakespeare calls them the weird sisters, all right, so for you young people, yes, that is the name of the band that played at Harry Potter's Yule Ball in the Goblet of Fire. No, J.K. Rowling didn't make it up. It was an homage to Shakespeare, who, believe it or not, is a better storyteller than even her. All right, okay, so. All right. So he's honest with this apparition. We don't even know, it's Hevel. It's all smoke and fog in Scotland. And he has this apparition of these three weird sisters. And they proclaim this weird prophecy that Macbeth, this is his common everyday shoulder, is going to become royalty. He's going to become nobility. He's going to be named the Thane or the head of the clan of Cawdor. And even king of Scotland. Well then... Right after this apparition appears, a messenger comes on the way and says, hey, Macbeth, did you hear? Yes, the Thane of Cardor died in the battle, and you have been named the new Thane of Cardor, the new head of the clan. And he's like, I guess it's true what the weird sister said. So he writes a letter to his wife, and he says, this is what I heard, and now I'm the Thane of Cardor, and they said I'm going to be king of Scotland. Well, Lady Macbeth gets the letter before he arrives, and she is intoxicated with the notion that she, is, that she is now nobility and she could be the queen of Scotland next to her husband. So he arrives home, and ironically, another messenger arrives and says, guess what? The king 
of Scotland is traveling through and he wants to stay at your house tonight. All right. So Lady Macbeth and Macbeth say, this, this could be it. That's what the weird sister said. I could be king of Scotland. We have to make this happen. So that night, they assassinate the king of Scotland. And they connive to ascend to the throne. And sure enough, Macbeth becomes king of Scotland. But from that moment on, the murder that they committed begins a chain reaction. And all of a sudden, their lives descend into madness and tragedy. Death, deceit, everything shatters in their lives. And at the end of the play, it's one of Shakespeare's tragedy, at the end of the play, Lady Macbeth is dead. And King Macbeth now, surrounded by death and the shattered pieces of his life all over the place, has probably the most Ecclesiastes-like soliloquy ever. This is what he says, as the messenger has just told him, your wife is dead. He says, she should have died hereafter. There would have been time for such a word. Tomorrow, and tomorrow, and tomorrow creeps in this petty pace from day to day to the last syllable of recorded time. All of our yesterdays have lighted fools the way to dusty death. Out, out, brief candle. Life is but a walking shadow. A poor player who struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, but signifying nothing. Have one. It's awesome. Old. Now, here's the thing. Shakespeare said all of life is like a stage, and we're all players in it. And you know what? That's biblical. Because this great story told from Genesis to Revelation is being carried out. It's being told this very day. All of the things that are happening in our world are leading to the end of the story. Which means that every one of us in this room are part of this story. Our story, my story, my life story is, is part of the great story that God is telling. And the cool thing is that God says that your life, your story 
has purpose. There is a plan. And God wants to live out his purposes for you. For those who follow Christ, for those who make Christ Lord of their lives, he says, he comes in, Holy Spirit indwells us and gives us gifts that we are to use for the purposes of Christ in our role in this great story. Our part of the body of Christ. There is no one that is not important. There is no one. In fact, that's what Jesus said. In the God's kingdom, it's the least who are the greatest and the greatest who are least. So if you're sitting here thinking, well, what is my life worth? I mean, what's the purpose of my life? That's the question that Ecclesiastes is asking, right? What is the mean? What is the purpose? What are we doing? What do we value? It's all smoke. So is it like Macbeth said? It's just a player who struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is no more? Nothing. Hevel. It's all meaningless and worthless. Or is there something bigger going on that God is telling us. So, Joey, let's go to that first slide, if you will. Remember last week in the video, said that Ecclesiastes basically has three main points. One, time marches on. And you and I are going to strut and fret our hour on the stage in our lifetime, and then we will die, and those who will come after us. And then the second one is that everyone dies. It doesn't matter whether you're good or evil, foolish or wise, Good or bad, we're all going to die. And number three, there's a random nature to things. It doesn't always follow that if you do the good thing, you're always blessed, and you do the bad thing, you're always cursed. Life doesn't work that way. There's a randomness to it that sometimes doesn't make sense. Now, I want to add to this, before we get into the text, I want us to look for two more things in the text. One is, there is a great story, a grand story that God is telling on level four, on the eternal spectrum. And then there is the micro story. There is the little story. There's my story. Macro and micro. So let's see if we can find these things in the text. So we're going to begin chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. Okay? So starting with the grand, there's a time for everything, a season for everything under the heavens. There's a time to be born and a time to die. All right, there we go. Everyone's going to die. There is a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear things down and a time to build things up. There's a time to weep, a time to laugh, there's a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones, and then a time to gather them, a time to embrace then there's a time to just refrain from embracing. There's a time to search and a time to give up. There's a time to keep 
time to throw away, there's a time to tear, and a time to mend, a time to be silent, a time to speak, a time to love, there's a time to hate, there's a time for war, there's a time for peace. So now we're, we're seeing this on the micro. There's these big seasons and times and everything is flowing. The passage of time. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden that God has laid on the human race. He has made everything. Now this is fascinating because he brings everything down into the micro here. He has made everything beautiful in its time. We're going to talk about that in a little bit more depth in just a second. So the micro, everything, every little thing is beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity. Now we're going to pull back. Now we're back to the micro. Level four, eternal kingdom is in the human heart, yet we can't even fathom what God is doing all over the place in the great story. There's so much that's beyond us. I know that there is nothing better for people to be happy and to do good while they live. That each of them may eat. Now we're back down to the micro. I'm gonna have food and I'm gonna have a drink. We're gonna eat together and find satisfaction in the work that I have to do today. That is the gift of God. I know, now we're back to the macro. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. Verse 15, whatever is has already been and what will be has been before. And God will call the past to account. So on the macro level, what Ecclesiastes is saying here, the teacher is saying that I know that despite I don't see beyond the hevel of this life right now, I know that beyond here is, is God's judgment and beyond here is something that is bigger and more eternal than I can get my hands on that feels tangible in this moment. Again, there's something that's even more real than this reality. And I saw something else under the sun. And here we're going to go back to the randomness. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. So I know on the grand scheme, God eventually is going to be judge and judge justly. But while I'm here on earth, I'm looking around and I see corruption in all the institutions of this earth. There is corruption in government, there's corruption in big corporate America, there's co corruption in big tech, there is corruption even in the church. There's corruption and corruption and, and it's the people who are doing evil that sometimes are in charge. In the place of justice, there was wickedness. And I said to myself, God will bring into judgment. Now we're gonna go back, back. I know at some point God's gonna bring judgment, both the righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity, a time to, be, to judge every deed. It's all leading there. And then in verse 18, he comes back to, we're all going to die. As for humans, God tests them 
so that they may see that they're like animals. Surely the fate of human beings is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. And one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. Humans have no advantage over animals. Everything is hevel, smoke, meaningless. All go to the same place. All come from dust. And we, all our yesterdays, light the path to dusty death. Who knows if the human spirit rises upward and if the spirit of the animal goes down into the earth. By the way, Ecclesiastes was the first to really introduce who knows to the earth. Who knows? Who knows? There are things we don't know. Who knows? Some of these mysteries that lie in the hevel. Now he brings it right back to the hope in the blues. Remember last week? He brings it right back to the micro. So I saw there is nothing better for a person to do to enjoy their work because that is their lot. For who can bring them to see what will happen after? Now in my life, I've had a handful. I've been following Jesus for over 40 years. And I've had a handful of what I would call significant prophetic moments where God spoke into my being. And one of those happened in 2004. The first day I came into Third Church and I went into sanctuary and worshiped here for the first time. And, and I remember at that point, I'm not gonna go into details, but God basically spoke into me, said, I have something for you here. Tom, there's a reason why I have you here at Third Church. Now, okay, don't know what that means. I, and so I just waited. And if you remember one thing from this morning's message, I want you to remember this. It is the gospel according to 38 special. Hold on loosely, but don't let go. Hold on loosely, don't let go. You see, what I've learned in my walk with Christ is that when there is something that I just sense that's out there, and maybe I have a sense of where it's going, or God has given me an idea, there's been a prophetic word spoken and saying, hey, this is coming, or this is, there's, there's something coming up. I can cling to it like Macbeth and his wife. I can say, oh, I've got to make this happen. But that never leads to a good place. Never. Because there's a timing in all of this. Isn't that what Ecclesiastes is saying? There's a time. There's a time for this to happen and there's a time for that to happen. And guess what? God could say to me in 2004, Tom, I've got something for you to do here at Third Church. And for over 10 years, I held on loosely. I didn't know what it was. And, and Wendy can tell you. <laughs> there were, there were all, in 10 years, there were a lot of times going, what? What the hevel, right? God said he had something for me to do. Come on, get on with it. Why am I sitting on the sidelines? 
Why am I coming? There's nothing. But he makes everything beautiful in its time. And what I, what I needed to hold on loosely to is, is just to believe. And, if, and also to believe that, God, if I didn't hear you right, <laughs> I could be wrong. Then nothing is going to happen. And that's going to be okay, too. So I'm not going to let go of it, but I'm going to hold on to it loosely. And I'm going to let time and you bear out whether this is true and whether I heard correctly or whether I just had some bad pepperoni and, you know, heard something in my head and my heart. Hold on loosely, but don't let go. Now, here's what's interesting is that as we think about my story in the micro and your story in the micro, here's what I want to get into. Where, do, where does it connect with the macro of what God is doing in the big picture? So let's go to the uh, slide two, if you will, Joey. Hebrew is such a cool language. The Old Testament Ecclesiastes was written in Hebrew. Hebrew is the only language that was once dead, meaning that there, was, there were centuries where no one spoke Hebrew. It was a dead language. But now it is the official language of Israel. It has been brought back to life. It has been resurrected as a language. It is a very ancient language, and it's fascinating. Um, one of the things that's fascinating about Hebrew is that Hebrew letters also are numbers. The same letter is, it does double duty as a number. So throughout the, throughout the Old Testament, there are times where that the word actually has a numerical meaning as well. Isn't that cool? And, and one word can have multiple layers of meaning. So the Hebrew word for time, it, okay? And the Hebrew word for yam, or for day, is yam. Both of these words are indefinite meaning that it could mean 24-hour day, but it also could mean a 1,000 years. It could mean a few minutes, and it could mean a few years, and it could mean a couple of lifetimes or a generation or a millennium. So that's why it's so hard <laughs> sometimes to kind of go, okay, well, what, what, layer of meaning is this in? And so as we think about time and seasons, as we think about my life and the times of my life and my story and my role in the great story, I want us to understand, let's go to the next slide, Jody, that my times and seasons may not be your times and seasons. We as human beings love to compare ourselves to everybody else. We love for there to be order. Didn't some of us do that? Okay, well, I'm, here's how life's gonna go. It's gonna go this way, and then it's gonna go this way, and then this is gonna happen, and then this is gonna happen, and then this is gonna happen. And that's exactly what Ecclesiastes is saying, is that this is a setup for Hevel. Because guess what? It may work for one person, but it doesn't work for everybody. That's part of the process. That's part of the story. And the devil wants us to do one of two things. The devil wants us either to be, to be God of our life, 
to determine what it's going to be and to try and make it happen, that's one way to ruin our life and to fall into the enemy's plan. The other is to believe that there is no meaning and there is no purpose and the whole idea that my life has any significance or meaning at all in the great story is, I don't believe it, I doubt it, I think. And the devil's okay with that too if he can deceive you into believing that. So what Ecclesiastes is trying to get us to do is to find that tension. Yes, there's a great story and I can't always see through the hevel to understand it all. It's in my heart, I believe in this in eternity, but I still don't know all that God is doing. But at the same time, I believe that there is something for me in this day, in this life. And it may not look like anybody else. We've talked about, in this room, we've talked about John chapter 21, when Jesus stands on the shore with Peter and the boys, and he tells Peter, Peter, someday you are going to be led where you don't wanna go by people that you don't want leading you and they are going to do to you what you do not want done. You are going to suffer and you are going to be crucified just like me. And then Peter looks at John and goes, what about him? Isn't that what we do? God, how come my life's not like that? Come on, God, could, could maybe I have a little bit of that person's story? And Jesus looked at Peter and says, what's it to you? Listen to that. What's it to you if I want him to go that way? What's it to you if I want him to live to old age? You follow me. Your story is not like his story. And there's purpose in both. So the question is, am I willing to embrace the story that God has for me? The times and the seasons that may ebb and flow for me in a way that they don't for somebody else? Am I willing to seek out that purpose on both the macro and the micro? Next slide, please, uh, Joey. My story exists within the same story. God is sovereign. Look at verse 14 again. Verse 14. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing be taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. There is a sovereignty to God and he is in charge. This great story is already written and it is being lived out. And there will be a reckoning. There will be a judgment day that comes. So what do I do in the meantime? Be aware of the macro, but also the micro. The word for holiness in Hebrew is another interesting word. Let's go to the next, yeah, there we go. Chadosh is how it's pronounced, Chadosh. And holiness is an interesting word that we don't really think about very often. 
We think of holiness as like moral purity, don't we? Like if you reach some sort of level of purity, you're holy. That's not really what it means. I mean, it can mean that's a piece of it, but just like Hevel, it doesn't, that doesn't define it. Kadosh is when on the grand scale, have you ever, when have you been in awe? I remember as a kid, the first time I was about 10, 11 years old, and my family was up in the Boundary Waters on vacation. And we stayed up late at night, and of course, up in the Boundary Waters, there's no ambient light from around. So it's pitch dark, and the stars are like you have never seen before. And it was the first time in my life I saw the Northern Lights. Has anybody seen the Aurora Borealis for real? It is amazing. And I remember as a little kid just sitting there looking at all of the stars, more than I've ever seen in my whole life. And I watched the northern lights change hue and colors and go up and down. It's like this, it's like this psychedelic laser show that God made. And I remember feeling like it's so grand and I'm so small. That's Kadosh. That's a holy moment. When we, when we feel the greatness. So Isaiah chapter six, when Isaiah goes into the throne room of God, we sang about it this morning. Holy, 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 and the angels are flying around and the cherubim, holy, 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 and there's smoke, the Shekinah glory of God is there, and Isaiah just is like, oh, he falls down to his knees and goes, oh, I'm a terrible person. I shouldn't be here. I'm not worthy of all this. I was crying, in Revelation 5, the same thing. The, blood, the lamb who was slain sits on the throne and the, the cherubim are there and the, all people of every tribe and nation and tongue and language sing holy, holy, holy. Praise to the lamb who was slain. And John is like going, oh my gosh. But what we often don't think about is the fact that there is also chadosh in simple beauty. He's made everything beautiful in its time. When he says, eat, drink, enjoy your toil, I, uh, I memorized Deuteronomy 8.10 a long time ago. It's one of my favorite verses because it teaches me about, about the holiness of the moment. It says, when you have eaten and are satisfied, Thank the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. And often, as I push myself back from the table, you know that moment you push yourself back from the table and you go, oh, that was good. I've had good company. I've had, I've had a nice wine. I've had good food. My soul is full. That's kadosh. That's holy. 1 Thessalonians 4.11 says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Mind your own business. And that doesn't just mean don't mind other people's business. It also means mind my day. Mind the business of my life. Mind the duties set before me. Mind the task list that's ahead of me today. Mind the loved ones 
I'm responsible for. Mind the, the work that I'm responsible for. Mind it. Pay attention to it. Do it. Find joy in the moment and in the toil. <laughs> I had uh, read this book a couple years ago. I love it. Uh, Tish uh, Warren Harrison. Is that right? Harrison Warren. Uh, the Liturgy of the Ordinary is the name of the book. You can look up it on Amazon. The Liturgy of the Ordinary. And she talks about how we find chadosh, how we find holiness and beauty in the little things. Let me read just a couple chapters. I love this. A sign hangs on the wall in a new monastic Christian community house. Everyone wants revolution. Nobody wants to do the dishes. I was and remain a Christian who longs for revolution, for things to be made new and whole and for their justice to be done. But what I am slowly seeing is that you can't get to the revolution without learning to do the dishes. The kind of spiritual life and disciplines needed to sustain the Christian life are quiet, repetitive, and ordinary. I often want to skip the boring daily stuff to get to the thrill of an edgy faith. But it's the dailiness of the Christian faith, the making of the bed, the doing of the dishes, the praying for our enemies, the reading of the Bible, the quiet, the small, that God's transformation takes root and grows in my story. That's where we find it. Mind my business. Find the beauty and the holiness in the routine, mundane, everyday pieces of life. And what I have found is that in that, I begin to find the purpose and significance in my story. It's not in the big flash bang stuff. It's in the quiet, everyday, ordinary. That really the purpose, the significance becomes clearer to me. And that's what Ecclesiastes is pushing us to understand. Hold on loosely to the big stuff. Hold on loosely to the grand, great story and how it all is gonna work out, just hold on loosely. But don't let go, it's important, it's there. It's all gonna come out in time. It will all be made clear. But in the meantime, just hang on. Because hard seasons will pass. There's a time for everything. Hard seasons will pass. Good seasons will come, come again. But hold on loosely, because guess what? That good season that's coming, that doesn't last forever either. That's part of the journey. That's part of life. There is a larger story being told. So how do I find purpose for me? How do I find that significance? How do I, Tom, you, you say, yeah, you, you, you matter and your life has, is part of the great story, but I don't feel that. How do I find that? How do I make that real? The first step 
is to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. And by that, I don't, I, listen to me, I don't mean that you come to church one hour on a Sunday. Making Jesus Christ the Lord of your life is to say, I surrender my right to be God of my own life. I surrender my, my right to dictate the times and the seasons the way I want it to be. And Lord Jesus, you are Lord of my life. I have decided to follow you, no turning back. The cross before me, the world behind me, and I'm going to, I'm going to seek your purposes for my life. And I'm gonna give you control of my life. Whatever that is gonna look like, that's making Jesus Lord of your life. And until you do that, you're gonna have a hard time finding the storyline that God has for you. Okay, so make him Lord of your life. Number two, fall in love with his word. This is the source material right here. And, and you, don't, you don't begin to understand the great story. You don't begin to understand your place in it until you digest this. Not just read it, until you make it part of your being. I, spending time in this word, memorizing it, loving it, reading it, makes all the difference. It's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. This will change your life. This will teach you the way, but you need it. Third, begin conversing with Jesus all the time. I'm not talking about cutting out a few minutes in the morning to pray, which is a great thing to do. I suggest you make your life a prayer to him. That you recognize him in every moment. When you are at work and sitting at your desk, recognize that he is there. Talk to him. When you have a flat tire and are going, what the hell? <laughs> Realize that he is right there and you can talk to him. When you are alone in the darkness and feeling the angst and anxiety and the fear, realize that he is there. Talk to him. Make your life a prayer. We think of it in terms of, of this stuff just being some sort of like uh, take an hour or take 15 minutes and do it, but it's not. For those who've made Jesus Lord of their life, this is the stuff we weave into every moment Every day, this is the micro that we make part of that everyday routine, mundane. Discover, number four, the gifts and passions that you've been given because that's what God wants you to do. He's given you a gift so that you will serve the body in the gifts that you've been given. But if you don't know what that gift is, you're not gonna be able to know how to do it. And until you begin serving God and serving the body with the gifts that you've been given, you're not gonna feel the purpose and the significance and the joy of being a part of the whole. So learn the gifts and passions you've been given. There are classes here at church that you can take uh, to help you discover it. And then five, you find ways to serve others. Don't worry so much about yourself. Worry about others. Because as soon as you start worrying about others more than you worry about yourself, now you're on the path of Jesus. And I guarantee you that if you do these things, then you're going to begin to find 
how your story intersects the great story. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come up. Three action steps. And then we're gonna worship, take a blessing, and head out. Action step number one, back to contemplation. Here's what I wanna encourage you to do if you wanna dig in a little bit deeper this week. Contemplate the major themes and times and seasons of your life. Let me get a journal, get out a piece of paper and say if I had to chart a timeline of the major seasons of my life, what would that look like? What would you label them? And what did you learn from that time, that season of your life? What is it that you took out of that? What does that mean now in the context of the whole? Begin to look for the patterns of what God has been doing and where he's been leading you. Action step number two, be aware of holy moments of the ordinary this week. Look for it. Look for the holy moment. When you see the sunset, take it in. Oh, this is good. As you push back from a good meal, as you fold the laundry, for those of you who are weird about that, and it's like there's something in the detail and the order of having the laundry folded just the right way that just, it's holy. Again, don't understand that, but that's good. Actually, I do. Find the holy moments. Enjoy them. Thank God for them. And then action step number three. Honestly explore where I am holding tightly to the desire for my life to fit into my desires and my expectations? Where am I envious or jealous of someone else's story? Where am I angry at life's tragedies and disappointments? And whatever you discover in asking those questions, take them to God in prayer or write God a letter and get them out. It's okay, God can handle it, he can. He's a good, good father. He can handle your anger and your frustration and your disappointment and your tears and your screams. So get them out and then let go of them like the hevel that they are. Our elders and deacons are gonna be here with the bread and the cup this morning as we worship. Feel free to come and have a holy moment as you commune with Jesus through the sacrament he gave us. There is the place of prayer right down the hallway to the right. And if you need prayer, and who doesn't need prayer from time to time, don't be embarrassed by that. Just slip out if you need to. Walk down the hallway. Go on in there. And there are prayer warriors that would love to pray over you and pray for whatever it is that you need. So let's stand and get ready to worship. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for Ecclesiastes. Thank you for this great story that you're telling and our role in it. Help us, Jesus to find you in the holy moment of a meal and in the grand story that we can't even grasp the fullness of. Help us to enjoy both of them and teach us, Lord, to live in the tension in this life. In Jesus' name.